Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hello, everybody. I'm Lenny Goldberg, and this is my opening show called The Jewish Truth Bomb. And what we're going to do is take the news that you hear every day and try to put it under the light of authentic Judaism. You know, a person isn't just supposed to read the newspaper or listen to the news. He's supposed to learn it. What lesson does this teach us? What's the Jewish concept that's hiding behind the story? And you really have to do it because let's face it, the mass media has such a strong leftist and liberal slant that if you take what they report at face value, well, you'll never get to the truth. You'll get to a lot of falsehood, but truth you won't get. Besides, what is the news anyway? Is it what the lefties in the newspapers are telling you? Is it what the lefties in the mass media are reporting? As if today's news and today's newspaper and radio broadcasting, that defines that particular day. And then you throw out that newspaper into the garbage until the next day and the next newspaper. So I'm going to try to clear up that static a little bit. You know, today is January 2nd. People all over the world just celebrated New Year's, New Year's celebrations. I remember doing that in Manhattan, watching the ball drop. And then at 12 midnight, exactly, everybody says, Happy New Year. And then when I started to learn Torah, I learned there's something called Rosh Hashanah. That's the Jewish New Year. And on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, there's no parties and drinking and there's no abandonment of, of restraint. The New Year for Jews, Rosh Hashanah, now it's a day of um, self-introspection. Another year's passed, we got more gray hairs, more wrinkles, our reflexes have slowed down. And what has that year taught us? That's what New Year's is for the Jew as he, as he comes one step closer out of the gateway of this world and into the next one. So Rosh Hashanah is a pretty heavy day for us, Yom Adin, a lot different than the frivolous New Year's of January 1st. So the first news item I want to bring up, it appeared in the Times of Israel, and you know, at the end of each year, they like to reflect on the year. They like to reflect back and talk about that particular year, comparing it to other years. So what do they say in Israel, reflecting back on 2022? It says like this, 2022 was among the deadliest years in recent memory for Israelis and Palestinians. Now they explain why. 31 people in Israel and the West Bank were killed in terror attacks in 2022, and more than 165 Palestinians were reported killed amid months-long IDF crackdowns. That's the highest toll since 2007. According to the Shin Bet, 27 Israeli citizens and foreigners were killed in terror attacks committed by Palestinian or Arab Israeli terrorists in Israel or the West Bank. Another three soldiers were killed in attacks directed against troops and one police commander was killed during clashes with Palestinian gunmen in a West Bank operation. And the article continues explaining how violent the year 2022 was. So look at the statistics they give. 27 Israeli civilians and 220 Palestinians. They don't tell you that the Palestinians were terrorists killing the Jews. They equate the terrorists with the innocent Israelis who were murdered by them and put it all together in one number and say, what a violent year that was. Of course, you don't get that in the headline. Only when you start reading it, the headline says 31 people in Israel and the West Bank were killed. More than 165 Palestinians reported killed. And only later in the article do you realize we're talking about Arab terrorists who killed Jews, 
who were shooting at Jews who were killed by IDF soldiers. And this headline, of course, equates the two. It's the same thing. Cops have guns and robbers have guns. So cops and robbers are the same. So this is your typical innocuous headline from the Times of Israel. What kind of newspaper is this Times of Israel? Sounds a lot like the New York Times, but it's the Times of Israel. But it's the same thing. The New York Slimes, the Slimes of Israel. The rabbis teach us that someone who doesn't have understanding or dat, as they call it in Hebrew, understanding or knowledge, he can't distinguish. He isn't able to do havdalah, which means to tell the difference. And that's why Saturday night, Motzei Shabbat, when we pray the evening prayer, we mention there the difference between the Sabbath and the rest of the week, between light and darkness, between Israel and the nations. And where do we insert that havdalah, this prayer of distinction? We mention this in the part of the prayer where we say, Hashem gives us dat. Thank you, Hashem, for giving us knowledge and understanding. But if you don't have understanding and knowledge, you can't distinguish. You can't make the Havdalah. And anyone who equates the victims to the attackers, he has no dat. He can't distinguish. And the pathetic thing in Israel is that all the newspapers are like this. At least in America, you have Fox News. I don't know what you have in Israel except a couple of podcasters here and there. You got the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, the newspaper called Haaretz, which makes the New York Times look objective. And when it comes to this new right-wing government, all the stories are basically the same. They trash the government as being extreme and dangerous and homophobic. Of course, it's not just the newspapers here. It's the establishment jewelry worldwide. They're attacking the new government mercilessly. They're constantly trashing the new coalition in the previous governments of Bennett and Lapid. It didn't matter that those coalitions were formed by joining with Jew-hating Arab parties, which was a precedent in Israeli politics. The mass media and the Jewish establishment love those administrations. But now that the Israeli public voted for something else, they can't handle it. And every single day, you have these news reports. You have headline after headline attacking what they call the far-right, homophobic, anti-LGBTQ members of this government. Their favorite target is the Noam Party. Now, the Noam Party is really a small party. It's headed by Avi Moz, and they're a one-issue party. Their whole thing is to fight for Jewish identity in the Jewish state. That means a normal family is a mother and a father, not a couple of men or a couple of women. That's not a normal family unit. And of course, they're against all this gender fluidity, which you have in Israel, just like you have in America. Maybe it's worse here. So you can imagine the wrath against this small party by not only the newspapers, but outgoing Prime Minister Yair Lapid. He calls the leader of the Noam Party, and I quote, a dark racist, a man who blacklists LGBTQ people. Now, Maoz, he received control over a branch in the Israeli ministry. So Lapid is pretty startled about that. And he says like this, and I quote him, Young parents won't be able to send their children to school without fear of being brainwashed. So you see that works? When the leftists are running the educational system and teaching Jewish children their sick values, that's not indoctrination. But when we want to give our children some normalcy, Jewish values, traditional values, we're brainwashing our children. Now this rabbi, Avi Maoz of the Noam Party, I mean, he couldn't care less. He doesn't listen to the news. He sits in the Beit Midrash every day. He sits in his yeshiva and learns Torah. He's totally oblivious to the criticism. Of course, in the eyes of the secular left, he's the ultimate extremist. 
and there's nothing really extreme about it. And if you believe in God's Torah and you take it seriously, of course you're going to object to this whole woke thing. In the Hebrew language, which is God's language, he created the world with the 22 Hebrew letters. Every noun, every object is feminine or masculine. It's not like English where a table or a chair is neutral. It has no gender. In the Hebrew language, everything has a gender. That's why Hebrew is sometimes a harder language to speak because every object has a gender and the adjective of that object now has to agree with that gender. There's no such thing as gender fluidity. God created a perfect world and a table can't become a chair and a chair can't become a table. But the fact is you don't have to be a religious Jew to understand this. You just have to be a little bit normal. When I was a little kid in elementary school in Queens, secular school, public school, and you would tell me that men would marry men and women would marry women, Nobody would believe it. We'd be laughing on the floor. The Torah says it's a toava, it's an abomination. Because Judaism isn't this thing of live and let live as long as you don't hurt anybody. Not true. Twice we saw mass destruction because of this particular sin. When God brought the flood onto the world, it says in the verses, that all flesh had corrupted its way on the earth. That is, everything was getting all mixed up. There was sexual immorality and perversion. There was gender fluidity, and that's what brought upon the world the flood. Same thing with Stom and Gomorrah. Why did God destroy Stom and Gomorrah? Well, you see it in the word Stom. That's where the word sodomy comes from, from Stom. That's what was happening. The rabbis teach us that what brought God's wrath upon Stom and Gomorrah was that it became normalized. It became legal. The Midrash says that when they set up courts to legitimize it, when men would marry each other, when the courts legitimized it and normalized it, that's when Stom was overturned. If they had carried on with their sexual immorality in their homes on a personal level, if they stayed in the closet, that's still wrong, but God would not have overturned Stom. But when it became legitimized and part of the consensus, then there was no hope. So this is no joke. So a party that wants to keep the family together, where there's a mother and a father, they want to get back to normalcy. And it's amazing that you need a party just for that. Anybody who holds that way, they are marginalized as extremists, right-wing, homophobic kooks. And that's how they label these parties. The Jerusalem Post opens up its article talking about this party, the far right-wing homophobic Noam party. That's their objective reporting. And so that's what goes on every day in these newspapers. What do they write about? Somebody from the new government says something that they think is insulting to a gay person or to LBGT people. And then some representative from the opposition attacks that government member for not being progressive enough. That's your typical article. You know, back in my day when I was younger, they were in the closet. Every once in a while, another one came out of the closet. I thought they were in the furniture business. But today, every other day, there's another parade. And the other day, the Jerusalem Post reported that hundreds of protesters gathered near the government offices in Tel Aviv to protest the anti-LGBTQ stances of the new government headed by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And the article explains how the demonstrators, they blocked the intersection next to Azraeli Center. And listen to what their spokesman, Shai Bramson, says. We came to say today that there is no legitimacy to legitimize our community, even if you are members of the government. And we cannot be pushed outside the fence. Judaism is also ours. And it's not a religion of hatred and ostracism and discrimination. So they're talking in the name of Judaism now. Well, what is Judaism? Isn't Judaism what the Torah says? And it says in the Torah, Lo Alisha, which means male garb should not be worn by a woman. 
And it says in the Torah, Velo yilbash gever simlati shah ki toavat elokim kol haseilu. And a man should not wear a woman's dress, for it is abomination to Hashem, anybody who does this. Okay, so let's move on and see what's going on with our Arab neighbors, our Yishmaelite cousins. Here's another huge story they've been talking about. The mayor of Kfar Qasim, his name is Mayor Adel Badir, he participated in the funeral of one of the residents of Karkasim who carried out a terror attack. The terrorist we're talking about, his name is Naim Badir, he was shot dead by police this past Friday in what was said to be an attack involving an attempted shooting and then a car ramming of Jewish police officers. Okay, so the mayor of the city that this terrorist belongs to, he participates in the funeral. Now, Kfar Qasim, that's like a real mainstream Arab village. We're not talking about Ubal Fakhm, which is also within the Green Line, a place of vipers and snakes who everybody knows is a dangerous place. Kfar Qasim, though, that's the place where, you know, the good Arabs live. It's right near Petah Tikva. It's right near Rosh Ha'ayin, right in the heart of Israel. And their mayor, he supports terrorists. You know, people who don't understand, they think that terror happens in Israel because the Arabs are downtrodden. They live in poverty. Kfar Qasim is a wealthy Arab city, just like Shechem is. And there's tons of terror coming out of there. I myself live in a place called Kfar Tapuch. It's about seven kilometers from Shechem. And we often pass this Arab village called Khawara. Our kids go on buses through Khawara to get to their schools. And Khawara is nothing like Farkasim. It was always this rundown village, not many businesses on the streets, not many lights, kind of boring and primitive. But now you go through Khawara and it's really modern. You got shawarma stores, you got billboards and advertisements, and the place is just lighted up. Tons of nice cars all over the place. Do you think Khawara is less hostile now because they're rich, because they have nice cars now and billboards and shawarma and falafel stores in the streets? Of course they still hate us. There's more attacks on Jews than ever before. You see, the Israeli governments never had the guts or the faith to drive out our enemies from the land, as the Torah says to. So what they did is they tried to buy them off by giving them nice cars, by giving them modern cities. Of course, it's the European Union who's also contributing to their affluence. But you can't buy their national pride. You know, it says in the Torah, that man does not live on bread alone. That is, it's not enough to give a guy bread, materialism, and a nice job, and a nice house, and a cell phone. You're not going to buy him off ideologically with that. But that's what they tried to do. They figured, they figured that if Ahmed has a cell phone and a nice car, then he won't blow himself up on the bus. He won't be a fundamentalist Islamic fanatic. Well, it doesn't work that way. You can't buy the Arabs national pride with a cell phone. And so the distinguished mayor of Kfar Qasim, an Arab village with tons of Jewish businesses located there, their mayor, Abul Badir, he supports the terrorist who was shot by the IDF. Well, what did you think? That he'd be a traitor to his people because he's the mayor? Just because he lives in a nice Israeli city within the Green Line? You know, in our Holy Torah, we read a couple parshas ago, we had a situation where in Shechem, which as I said, is a couple kilometers from me, the head of Shechem, he messed with a Jewish girl. Her name was Dina. Dina, the daughter of Yaakov. And Dina's brothers, Shimon and Levi, entered Shechem, which is sometimes called Nablus, and they slew every male in Shechem after they tricked them into circumcising themselves and weakening them. So that's how the Jews of old took care of an Arab mayor. The problem is that today in Israel, 
There is no Shimon and Levi. All you have today is Shimon Perez and Rami Levi. I'm referring to the Rami Levi who has a huge chain of supermarkets throughout Israel. And Rami Levi, by the way, if we're speaking about him, he's a good businessman for sure. But his enterprise, his stores, not only do they breed Arab terrorists in there, but there's a lot of assimilation going on. You see the girls at the cash registers and the Arabs bagging the groceries and they talk to the Jewish girls and converse with them and everything is so nice. So not only does Rami Levy have these Arab workers who occasionally go out and try to kill Jews, which is what happened a couple of weeks ago when one of those workers from Rami Levy in Shar Ben Yamin tried to run over Jews with his car, you also have assimilation that's being encouraged. And the fact there's assimilation in Israel is a problem. You know, it used to be that Israel was always a safe place from assimilation because even if you're a non-observant Jew, you're most likely going to marry a Jew and therefore your children will be Jewish. Where in America, for example, you have a very good chance if you're not observant and you don't care enough, you have a good chance of marrying a non-Jewish girl and you just severed a 2,000-year chain of Jewish descendants. But in Israel, that usually didn't happen. But more and more, it is happening. You see a lot of intermarriages here with Russian Gentiles and Arabs. So this place isn't even safe from assimilation anymore. And if we don't get back to Jewish identity and make this a Jewish state and not a state of Hebrew-speaking Puerto Ricans, and it really doesn't matter that a right-wing government was elected because what controls the culture isn't the government, it's the media, it's the courts, it's the academia, which is all woke leftist kooks, kind of like what's going on in America. So you're saying, yeah, well, this is Israel, it should be different. Unfortunately, it isn't. Let's move on to another topic, a social issue. You know, today there's a lot of victimization. Everybody's a victim. If you grew up and you were abused as a child or you lived in poverty or you went through all kinds of stuff, I was beat up in high school, and people will lean on that as an excuse why this person is failing, as if he doesn't have free choice to get out of it. But you know, if you go to our parshas in the Torah and we're learning about Yosef at Tzadik, the righteous biblical Joseph, I mean, look what he went through. When he was six years old, his mother Rachel died in childbirth when she was giving birth to his brother Benjamin. And then after that, he was abused and beat up by his brothers. He was a slave in Egypt. He was far away from his family. Can you imagine someone going through more traumas than Joseph did? But you know, he never used it as an excuse. He just kept plugging away. He believed in God. And this abused Jewish orphan became the king of Egypt. So we don't make excuses. We don't blame society. We don't play victim. We just keep moving on. Something else I wanted to talk about today, and this is something that really stands quietly behind all the headlines. And it's the reason Israel doesn't do what it's got to do. It doesn't take care of its enemies as it should. It shoots rubber bullets at terrorists or shoots them in the ankles. And that's because Israel is always afraid, what will the world say? What will the nation say? And of course, that makes sense. After 2,000 years in the exile, you get used to that question. You really have to be careful what the Gentile's going to say. You really are at his mercy. You're a minority. You got to lay low. You got to worry about what they say. But now that we've come back, we've come back to a land. We set up a state. We won a couple of good wars. We have one of the strongest armies in the world. But we still constantly worry, what will they say if we do this? And that's what happens when you take God out of the picture then you're totally dependent on man, on flesh and blood. So Jews are always thinking they need backing from America. What are we going to do without our ally, the USA? 
But when Israel won its war of independence in 1948, they didn't receive a bullet from the United States. The U.S. president, President Truman, he placed an embargo on all weapons coming into Israel during that war when we desperately needed those weapons. Besides the weapons that were smuggled in from the States by good Jews in the ports of Brooklyn, the only country who gave us anything was Czechoslovakia, who got the confirmation from Joseph Stalin, of all people, to send us weapons. And then the famous 1967 Six-Day War, that miraculous war where Israel made that preemptive strike and wiped out the Egyptian Air Force in the first day, they did it with French mirages. Yeah, France was a major ally to Israel in its early years. That anti-Semitic, snobby country, France, they were our major allies. They broke off relations with us right after that war, but we did all that without American backing. The U.S. only began backing Israel when it made sense for them. As Israel became stronger, America realized that Israel can serve American interests. And so by the late 1960s, after the Six-Day War, the U.S. began to feel, you know what? Israel, they can be a bulwark against Soviet influence. They can provide battlefield testing for American arms. Their intelligence services can assist us, etc., etc. That's why America started to back Israel. It's a mutual thing. It's not like we're beggars in the doorway. And so that's how we have to carry out foreign policy. And this whole concept of relying on the nations, you see that in our last Pasha, where the same Joseph, before he became the king of Egypt, was sitting in an Egyptian jail. He solved the dream of the butler. He said to the butler, you're going to get out of here and Pharaoh is going to give you a promotion, which is exactly what happened. But Joseph was punished. Why? Because he said to the butler, Remember me when things go well for you. That is, when you get out of here, remember me and do me a favor and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this jail. I was stolen from the land of the Hebrews, from the land of Israel. And here too, I haven't done anything wrong and I'm stuck here in this dungeon. And the rabbis teach us that Joseph sat in jail another two years because he asked for help from the butler. That's why the very next Pasha says, me catch the time at the end of two years. That was two years added to the 10 years he already sat in jail. So why did Joseph sit another two years? What did he do wrong? We know that the Jewish way is you have to do your hishtadlut. You have to make your effort. You can't rely on miracles. Yosef didn't want to rely on a miracle to get out of jail. So he wanted the butler to be his vehicle to get out of jail. So there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. Ah, then why was he punished? Well, because he groveled to him. Twice he said, remember me. And then he gave him his whole sob story that he was stolen from the land of the Hebrews and he hasn't done anything wrong. You don't have to tell the butler all that. Why are you complaining to the butler? And so he's showing a lack of trust here, a lack of faith that he's leaving God out of the picture. He's relying too much on flesh and blood. If he had said to the butler, listen, I helped you. I want you to help me. That would have been okay. Like business. So when Israel deals with America, they have to do it like business. We help you, so you help us. But not to grovel. And most importantly, to do the things that have to be done and not worry what they're going to say. And unless you have leadership like that, a leadership that truly believes that the God of Israel is stronger than the guy who occupies the White House, only somebody who sincerely believes that, only he will take those bold steps that have to be taken because anybody else is just going to be scared of the world. And I have news for you. Bibi's not that guy, but that's another story. Report, U.S. Jewish leaders raise alarm over new Israeli government.
And that's the December 20th headline in the Israel National News. Several U.S. Jewish leaders warned during meeting with Israeli officials that racist and extremist moves by the new government could seriously hamper support for Israel. So if we don't have Bennett and Lapid and the Arab party with Abbas at the helm leading the country, that could seriously hamper support for Israel amongst Jews in the United States. And they're really worried about Netanyahu's coalition partners, Itamar Ben-Gvir, Bitzalel Smotrich, and Avi Moz, because they have policies that are racist, antagonistic towards both reform and conservative Jews, and harm the LGBTQ rights. This could damage donations to Israel from the U.S. Jewish community. You know, you could keep your donations and shove it. And there's no question that if Israel takes the steps it has to take to survive, a lot of people are going to get upset. If we drive out the Arab enemy, if we reclaim the Temple Mount, which is ours, yeah, the world's going to get upset. That's why at the end of the day, it really comes down to faith. There's an important verse in the Torah. It says, Am yishkon, a nation that dwells alone. And it was said by the evil Bilam, who meant to curse us, but instead he blessed us and said, we are a nation that dwells alone. Well, unfortunately, most Jews still think that it's a curse to be alone. No, it's a blessing. Am yishkon. And so if this right-wing government starts to do the right things, you're going to get tons of criticism from even Jews who you like. You're going to see condemnations across the board. We're not here to placate the nations or placate or placate the U.S. Jewish organizations over there who are probably just embarrassed and more worried about anti-Semitism over there that this might cause them. That's where they're coming from. You know, they want to play it both ways. We're good Americans and we love Israel, but only if Israel makes suicidal concessions. You might want to love both America and Israel. Well, it might turn out that you can't have it both ways. If Israel does what it should do and has a heavy hand towards its enemies and unleashes the IDF against its enemies as it should, well, those American Jews are going to be squirming because there will be all this bad publicity against Israel and they're in the middle. And at the end of the day, they're Americans before they're Jews. So who cares what they say? You know, going through all these newspaper articles and listening to the news, it's something I'm only doing because of this podcast. And it's pretty brutal because like we said, 90% of it is with a leftist slant. And you, know, you have to wonder, what is it that makes journalists leftists? But it's really beyond journalists. Any artist type, actors, musicians, what is it about that type of person that if he has any ideological inclinations, it's always woke extreme left. I mean, it's uncanny. Almost every one of these Hollywood types. Sure, you have a couple of good people in Hollywood, but for every John Voight, there's a hundred woke leftist kooks. So what is it about the artist that makes him that way? That's a long story. We'll get into that another time. Tune in next week. And before I forget, if you would like to learn the Bible properly, according to authentic Judaism, tune in to my Bible podcast, just write in Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes. It's a podcast on Anchor. It's on Spotify. Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes. Let the Bible inspire you. We'll see you next week. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from Leake City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Norris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 